all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. I'm David. I'm Sarah. And this <laughs> is All Bad Things. Prelude so to the 200th. Our road to the Olympics. Yes. Road to the 200th. Yes, our road to the Iraq War. Wait, that was something different. <laughs> That's a different road disaster. to our 200th episode. Is that our, uh, well, it's not a centennial of any type, but what was it? The bicentennial is 200, mm -hmm. but that means years, not episodes. This is our bi-eptennial. Yeah, sure. It's our bi-eptennial. Yeah. Almost. This is our- Sounds like a surgery. If we're, it does. <laughs> and if we're still doing this 200 years from now, that means we'll, that means we're X-Men. <laughs> yes. Or cyborgs. Yeah. <laughs> we could be. Mm -hmm. Or AIs of our Or cyborg X-Men. Even worse. Yes. <laughs> Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Uh, join our Discord and our Facebook discussion group, but only if you have something nicer to say than really bad job. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Sarah is joining us. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hello. <laughs> because, <laughs> because we are doing an official dress rehearsal run through. So that we don't make complete fools of ourselves on the 200th live Zoom recording. Um, we already wrinkled, wrinkled out some kinks, yeah. ironed yes, out did. some wrinkles, mm -hmm. <laughs> kinked up some, you know, up some irons, <laughs> something like that. Um, yes, we did. Imagine if we had just gone into this, like, well, everything we just figured out. That I'm glad we figured out. Um, hopefully, whoever is upstairs or downstairs or across the hall uh, will not be here on Saturday. And therefore, if anybody hears back, like random voices in the background, that's other people in my office because we are recording in my office. Yeah, I'm just wondering what that person's doing here. Oh, it's Monday. I keep thinking it's Friday. Mm -hmm. It's Friday for me. Yeah, you just got off a long work. <laughs> I did. Mm -hmm. No, Saturday it should be it should be much quieter. Um, some people stay here late. I would complain, but I also have stayed here late many times, but don't talk to other people while I'm here. At any rate, um, what you drinking? We're drinking uh, We are thing. having a Sweetwater. What is this called again? Going Coastal Pineapple IPA. It's pretty good. It's not bad for an IPA. No. It's like the pineapple. This is one of the, uh, yeah, this bit. is one of the IPAs I, I like. You're okay with that? Yeah. Is it? Don't they do the 420 IPA? That's what they're known yes, for? Yes, they do. Yeah, that one's, eh, that one's it. Mm -hmm. eh. This one's good. Mm -hmm. Are you drinking anything, Sarah? Or you're waiting for your... I was going to say, we know she's not drinking anything. I'm working on my <laughs> delivery. Any progress? My guy, I have a guy. <laughs> and I'm working on a delivery. That okay. sounds like something else, though. <laughs> no, it is I have not turned to. I have a, it is 420 that's right. Yeah. Um, so yes, we are, uh, 
dress rehearsal rehearsing <laughs> want to say rehearsing dress rehearsing for our 200th episode and i thought for our 199th episode we could do what was going to be the 200th topic mm-hmm. but then we decided to go with something a little more traditionally disastrous this one would have been a lot more lighthearted mm-hmm. but we decided to give the people what they want on yes. the 200th which is an actual disaster disaster so this one's going to be a lot more lighthearted. plus it's almost the anniversary it'll be right around the anniversary of this particular mm-hmm. lighthearted disaster which is now a, a surprise to absolutely no one you know what it is david sarah knows what it is everyone who's listening has seen it on the episode title so there's no suspense whatsoever no. this is the story of the mystery <laughs> of al capone's vault the mystery that's what it's called. No, That's I what know. the special is called. I know. <laughs> there wasn't much. No, spoiler alert. It wasn't all that mysterious as it turns out. <laughs> no. <laughs> so on April 21st, oh, wait a second. I realized I didn't say, Sarah, you're in on this because you're going to be moderating for us on the Zoom call. You're going to be helping and assisting with all the recording. And we didn't want to do this whole dress rehearsal and make you be silent the entire time. So that's and, why. <laughs> and if this is somehow your first listen to us, which... I guess it could be for some people. Be sure to check us out on all our favorite social meds. I already said that. Did you? I said, follow us all that. Things. Oh, I, I guess I didn't remember that. Mm-hmm. I guess we're, no, okay. Well, go ahead. <laughs> all right, thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but of course, we always enjoy having you, Sarah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. This is the first I don't time- know anything about Geraldo. I realize. Oh, that's, that's I only that's know that thing. his name is Geraldo. Yeah. It's a nice not- kind of sketch. It's not really. We're going to learn about yeah. that. That's it, not his yeah. real name. It's 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 a good thing that you don't know a lot about Geraldo. That's it'll never be a bad thing. I don't watch much um, talk shows. Yeah, yeah. As well, you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am currently. May I say I am on day two of my uh, TV watching cleanse. I have not watched any Real Housewives of anything for forty eight hours. Nor wow. have I played any Doctor Mario. I'm doing pretty well so. Far. <laughs> uh I, well you've gotten to the um the the conceited at a part when you give something up oh that's <laughs> true. two days later we'll wait <laughs> immediately that's the immediate. <laughs> you're right so anyway on april 21st 1986 we're recording this on april 19th 21 mm-hmm. so it's almost exactly 35 years ago i was not born yet what <laughs> You were born. I was born. We were all say, born. Yeah, was... <laughs> It'd be nice. But... The internet makes me feel old. <laughs> I know. We were all born. We were all yes. alive at this time. In v- of varying ages. Mm-hmm. You, of course, were the oldest, as I was. you are now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a two-hour-long television primetime special hosted by Geraldo Rivera purported to reveal treasures untold found in the secret vaults of infamous mobster Al Capone but ended instead in the discovery of absolutely nothing in one of the most infamous publicity disasters of modern times. So primary sources for this, which I apologize in advance, I wrote this all today. I wrote this in a four hour stretch this afternoon. Uh, Primary sources were Curbed, History.com, a great article on mental floss called Oral History, When Geraldo Rivera Opened Al Capone's Vault by Jake Rawson, the Mob Museum and Wikipedia. Actually, a lot from Wikipedia. Fair enough. All right. So, um, 
David and I watched this. Mm-hmm. We watched the whole thing in its entirety, with, with which without commercials, commercials which can be found on YouTube is about ninety minutes. I was gonna say, yeah, it was about an hour and a half. Yeah, they. Yeah. It was a two-hour special with thirty minutes of commercials. Um, and <laughs> but it gets better every single minute. It it was <laughs> it was worth watching. To be perfectly honest, it was completely worth watching. At least one night when we had nothing else to do and we're just mm-hmm. drinking and ha- enjoying ourselves, enjoying Geraldo Rivera. Yes, <laughs> acting like a jackass, <laughs> which is what he does best. Uh, yes, which is that's that's his default. Uh, it is character. What's he known for? Like, what's his thing? His thing. He was he was a talk show yep. host for most of the eighties. Um, yes, the eighties total. He's kind the, of one the trailer, of the trailer trash talk. He's yes, yes. he's kind of one of the purveyors of not as bad as Jerry Springer, but no, not Springer too far Springer enough. took it to another level. He's on a Maury Povich level, right? Like just essentially just trash TV, and let's put uh, poor pathetic white people on TV and see what the reaction is going to be. I mean that uh-huh. it's it's really the big. It's in a way is it's kind of to me. I've always thought of it. It's it's the beginning of it's reality TV before reality TV reality like, as a talk format. Yes. Yeah. And then they were like, well, what if we put all these uh, poor white people in a house together and like gave them, you know, it, <laughs> like, it like that the real world. And then the, the talk show format was kind of, to me, mm-hmm. the start of reality TV. Yeah. And then you had cops, yeah. which, which is really the, really the first reality TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you had the real world mm-hmm. and then, Companies, companies were like, well, we don't have to pay these people anything because they're not right. actors. We don't have to pay them any royalties or anything. Right. Like we can just it, for the reason reality TV became so big and not just America, all over the world is because it's, it's very cheap to produce. Yeah. Although not not so much anymore. Do you know that NeNe Leakes it, made $1.5 million dollars for season 10 of Real Housewives of Atlanta? I could really fucking care less. Well, she could. She <laughs> but Best. that's that's just that's just paying one person, though. On big TV shows, especially at this that's time of the day, sets can cost that much. Yes, and you that's have to, true. That's true. You don't even have sets. No, you, you don't have, have restrictions sets. of working in mm-hmm. real spaces. But. No, but that's but if people are like wow, oh, reality TV, why is it everywhere? It's because it's so cheap to produce. Yeah, that's, that's the true. main reason why. Well, especially when you're actually using actual real people who don't mm-hmm. get paid for it. Right, and re- reality personalities yes. have come around on that. Yes, to and actually they're, make money. Yes, mm-hmm. and now they're like, we will you know negotiate for royalties and things like that but overall you can just stick a camera on some people and people will watch it yeah for the most people with the camera on them will do foolish things because exactly yes and they're fully aware like that's the thing i i realized with um real housewives is how aware they really are of what they're doing oh god they like on their little cat fights at the end of each season yeah, they do a whole recap no, no no they'll describe they'll say like yeah but you butted into my storyline and they're they like they yeah. use terminology like that and uh oh they'll still refer to scenes like in that scene i blah 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 you know so it's it's a little it's anyway that has nothing to do with geraldo it doesn't other than geraldo kind of helped usher in some of that idea yes but. he definitely did so that's Geraldo. He's one of, he's one of the, we'll get back to him. All in all, he's one of the purveyors of trash TV. Yes. Like he, one he of the early very pioneers. Much is. Yes. Yeah. So instead of, uh, we will get to Geraldo, but we're going to start with another man. Alphonse J. Capone. That's right. I don't know his full name. Or... I don't either. I just called him Al Capone this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say that. I didn't even 
get like I tried not to deep dive him and it still took up like three pages. So I think for the most part, people know the name. I just kind of am touching on the highlights. So yeah, the broad the broad strokes are probably just fine with him. He's basically the single most famous or infamous, I would say the most famous mobster in American history. Yes, criminal. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of serial. Uh, That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Well, he was uh, well. He was more of a mass murderer than a serial killer, but anyway, but yeah. <laughs> uh, a mobster, yeah. Uh, he was born at the very end of the 19th century, I think January 17th, 1899, right? Okay. Uh, and so he basically came of age, he came up when the American mafia was on the rise. Mm-hmm. So uh, the U.S. mafia, just to be super obvious, the name used for a web of organized crime with longstanding Italian roots, uh, started in the U.S. Do you know when? I didn't know this. Uh, I I would put it. I, I mean, honestly, I would put it just post Civil War. Is you were exactly right. Yeah, you did not Samsonite that. You were exactly no. right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mostly the most localized influence was in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were there were satellite gangs, but mm-hmm. it, it really, for all intents and purposes, uh, it they they weren't that big at the time the um, uh, we're talking about the mafia so their uh, organized crime at least was back in the day i don't know still i'm honestly not sure how pertinent organized crime still is i imagine in some ways it is but i I think for the most parts it's just regionally or locally yeah uh they they don't have the same national power that they used to because oh yeah yeah no there's that one famous uh national crime syndicate called congress (laughs) (laughs) huh Right. Yeah. They are the actual mob, <laughs> but, uh, but, but post post civil war, just kind of get back into the roots post civil war. You had two things going on. You had obviously reconstruction of the South mm-hmm. on top of the fact that you had the beginning of the uh, industrial revolution, mm-hmm. which caused a mass uh, immigration mm-hmm. uh, to the United States. Mm-hmm. Plus you had stuff going on in other parts of the world that were bad, like the potato famine. And so, yeah, all those things, brought people over to America who were literally mm-hmm. fresh off the boat, mm-hmm. had no power, had no resources. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how can we get power and resources? Well, here's I mean, a way. Here's a way. Uh-huh. It, it worked in the old country. Yeah. And so at the, at least at the time, um, organized crime was largely separated by ethnicity. Oh God. Yeah. So, yeah. So we were talking about the Italian mob, mm-hmm. the Italian mob. Oh, together. you had, you had the Armenian, I mean, you had the Russian mob. They, they well, all have, they all have their sex. The Italian mob goes way back yes, to does. like the mid 18th century mm-hmm. by all accounts. Uh, so this is like the Sicilian mafia in America, which is not Italian. Oh, Sicilian. Sorry. Yes, mm-hmm. you're right. Um, I think it has, come it bled into being largely just italian yeah it's it's basically the same thing Mm -hmm. Uh, but the primary activity way back in the day was something called the black hand racket had you ever heard of this Mm -mm. i had not so um the black hand racket is where you basically extort money out of people by sending them letters threatening them like pay me this or i'll break your legs so like ransom or blackmail but literally just saying i'll hurt you or... it's effective messaging yeah oh there's al there he is there's al there's al capone Alphonse. picture not in yeah not in the room <laughs> <laughs> here he Hi, is al. <laughs> reanimated corpse of al capone yes. <laughs> but, and you can expect more on our 200th episode <laughs> no so anyway um 
The Black Hand wasn't the only criminal enterprise engaged in by the mob. Of course, they also participated in other crimes like fraud, loan sharking, mm-hmm. smuggling, etc. Um, also, what Wikipedia called prostitution. I was, I was just like, going to say. But like, I just like the word. But I also don't want to say sex work because that would seem to indicate some level of autonomy or power on the part of the people engaging in it. But which, it was which, not which is, at all the case. Which is why it's called prostitution. Well, yeah. Sarah, do you <laughs> that, have thoughts on that? That denotes that just you... extorted women. Like, right. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah, did exploited. business owners. Yeah. yeah. Certainly exploited. That's, that's, what, that's, yes. a, that's essentially what prostitution means, just in the general word. <laughs> well, but people use it also to just mean sex work. Like, oh, I, I understand. People who are voluntarily. Yeah. But prostituting yourself does not necessarily have to mean you're doing sex work. It's just like a, you're you're giving up power over something else to accomplish something oh i guess uh, in a general yes in a general sense vernacular yeah yeah anyway uh like i prostitute myself for the buffalo bills like that like we'll do you though (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know that about you (laughs) yes i've I've spent thousands of dollars on the buffalo bills in my lifetime and i've gotten zero championships out of it that's true you've gotten nothing from (laughs) it nothing from it they hate you (laughs) and every time i go to see a game on the road they They lose lose. yes still in these first 50 years or so of the american mafia they operated mostly like i said on the fringe of society not with the notoriety they would later reach or eventually the mainstream appeal they would even reach like by depictions and goodfellas and the sopranos and all that um so this is the time when al capone made his way up the ranks in the mob he started as a literal child he went to catholic school he was actually a good student but what had behavioral problems he at age 14 was expelled for hitting a female teacher across the face in his defense she hit him first (laughs) i was gonna say that sounds like mitigated corporal punishment was the thing back then so so. this would have been like 1913 yeah well i think that's fair if somebody hits you i think it's completely (laughs) within reason to hit them back well it's one of those things it's like you say he hit a female teacher across the face (gasps) and you say after she hit him first Uh, yeah he's 13 like if he was like 14 like yeah if he was like a fully grown man like i'd had had a i'd have a different opinion but Mm. uh he bopped around in various street gangs during his teen years he and he went i did not know this went semi-pro uh in baseball i didn't really semi-pro baseball for two years Mm -hmm. like when he was 17 and 18 yeah it was around this time. It must have been a must have been a shallow talent pool back then. But it couldn't have been. I was going to say, but it couldn't have been because that's what baseball was like. At yeah, its, it's part yeah. of America's pastime. Yeah. Uh, it was around this time that uh, a husky dog bit him in the face. No, that's not the truth. <laughs> that's what happened to me. That's why I'm Scarface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Al Capone became Scarface in a some version of an altercation he got slashed across the face with some sort of there accounts of this vary as to exactly what but so you can't see it like in the picture i got i actually couldn't find a great clear picture of his scars but on the left side of his face apparently had three long marks Hmm. um and that's why he ended up being known as scarface not pacino's scarface but um apparently he actually hated that nickname Hmm. but uh during this time he was coming up under the mentorship of, I love these nicknames, Johnny the Fox Torrio, (laughs) 
who eventually moved on to Chicago to participate more heavily in the Black Hand racket going on there. In 1918, Al's girlfriend, Mae Coughlin, became pregnant and gave birth to their son, Albert Francis Capone, or Sonny. Uh, Al and May married at the end of 1918, and Al actually tried to go straight, briefly, a little bit. Uh, he became a bookkeeper <laughs> for a construction company. So uh, books would end up being his undoing, as we're about to Yes, it would. But uh, that was very short-lived. He took up to Rio on the offer to, uh, uh, took up to Rio on the offer to relocate to Chicago in either 1919 or 1920. Sources differ on it. Super young. Hmm? Either way, he's like 20 or He's almost years old. 20, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also around this time. But 20, 20 years old, 100 years ago is different. It's like 35 being, now. It, I was going to say it's more like 55 now, <laughs> I think. It's, it's, it's a lot different than being 20 years old today. It's very different. Um, it was around this time that he also caught syphilis. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. At a, a, a brothel, mob-owned brothel. Um, and spoiler alert, that's what would kill him. It's also a plot line in the Boardwalk Empire. Oh, I never finished that. I watched the first two, three seasons, and I, yeah, I, I never got back to it. But yeah, one mm -hmm. of these days. He has a character in Boardwalk Empire. Okay, who played him? Does somebody I think Donnie, him? I think Donnie Wahlberg plays him. I think so. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Is he the one who played the the drug addict or the mentally ill person at the beginning of Sixth Sense? He is. Yep. Okay. So in 18... <laughs> and Sarah looks so excited. <laughs> I love your expression. <laughs> You're thrilled to. She's face. like she's like more Donnie Wahlberg, please. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's again. Of the Boston Wahlbergs. Yeah, of the Wahlbergs. <laughs> Does he look like this picture? Like Al Capone? Yes. I don't think so. Mm, no. Because <laughs> he did portray him. I, I'm going to just go ahead. I'm going to look that up while you read. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's who played him, though. <laughs> so in 1919, prohibition started in the States, a very failed attempt to curb the very real problem of alcoholism by outright outlawing the sale of booze. What it did instead, as most attempts to force abstinence of any vice tends to do, war on drugs, anybody? It created a thriving black market and a business opportunity for those willing to invest. Oh no, I thought we learned our lesson. And when Nixon came along, <laughs> it was a like the war on drugs, like it was gonna work this time. Oh yeah. Oh, that's how oh, it didn't, did it? No. Oh. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Mm. Maybe that's why states all over all over the country right now are be like, we're we're just gonna legalize marijuana. There's no point anymore. It's inevitable at this point. <laughs> it it's is. gonna pass federally. This is gonna take for the, the federal part will take forever, yeah, but at least some states are starting to wise up. Mm. So seeing as the mob was already pretty good at the smuggling game, it was literally the ideal venture to grow the enterprise. The mafia became almost synonymous with bootleg liquor, speakeasies and the like, and they were easily able to bribe blackmail and extort their way to the top of the booze game in Prohibition America. I almost feel like saying in Ronald Reagan's America. <laughs> yeah, might as well be. It was literally the perfect time for a guy like Al Capone to make a name for himself in the mob, and he did. By the way, it was Stephen Graham who played Al Capone on that. <laughs> you really Samsonited that one. I did. <laughs> does he even look like Donnie Wahlberg? He actually does. Yeah, I think so. Oh, you're not. You're not entirely wrong. He was in. Uh, that guy was in uh, other things. <laughs> I recognize him. That wasn't his only role. No, it was not. It was not. His his single item on his uh, sheet is. He Al was Capone in the movie. He was in the movie Snatch. He was. Um, 
he was the counterpart to uh that other guy's is that character. the one where they talk really fast kind of all right he was a boxing promoter mm. in snatch uh-huh. yeah i knew you weren't talking about the phone <laughs> Taria recognized Al's intelligence and abilities and helped him quickly climb the ranks as his right-hand man. In 1925, both Al Capone and Taria had very close calls with death. They were each ambushed on separate occasions within two weeks of each other. Capone wasn't hurt. Taria was shot several times, but he did survive. And Taria just was like, I'm out, went back home to... I'm not sure if it was Italy or Sicily. I think it was Sicily. I think it was actually Sicily. Um, And he was basically like, Uh, Salute, Al Capone, you're the boss now. So he left Al Capone as the boss. Uh, Capone turned uh, turned up on a lot of things. He turned up the dial on violence for the sake of growing revenue and his public image, which was very high profile, not typical at all for like what the, what Trio had been doing. He was lavish, gregarious. He was known for like dressing nicely and smoking cigars and even like average people knew knew of his profile and kind of liked him he was the likable mob guy sort of um and he made friends in high political places which greatly helped his business so what what else is it going to do with that money (laughs) are we ready for our dive into taxes (laughs) (laughs) yay we've reached the tax are we done with it yet So running parallel to the growth of the American mob was the establishment of a permanent income tax in the United States. That's right. It did not always exist. It only existed because of prohibition. That's not, how they... not quite. It was a main Hold reason. Hold on. I'm oh, going to get okay. to that. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> it flourished because of it. So the 16th yes. Amendment of the Constitution ratified in 1913 stated, quote, the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without any census or enumeration, end quote. The War Revenue Act of 1917 began transforming the actual rates and deductions associated with income tax as the federal government faced the expense of participating in World War I, a pattern that would continue well now well over a century. Mm-hmm. So Really, World War One was kind of the impetus to start growing it. But the revenue of the Revenue Act of 1921 would eventually end up becoming especially pertinent to Al Capone, even though he wouldn't know it yet. The act stated that basically all income, regardless of its source, which actually is said in the 16th Amendment too, was subject to income taxation. So, so even if it's even if you receive that money criminally. Well, there was an issue about mm-hmm. that. So as the prohibition wore on, law enforcement found it especially difficult to arrest, charge, and prosecute criminal mob activity directly due to bribery and corruption, a lack of written records, witness intimidation, things like that. But when prohibition was enacted, so was its enforcement. And who was called upon, who was told in the the actual act of prohibition who was supposed to enforce prohibition they had their own uh what were they called um well you're shaking your head so what is it the bureau of internal revenue which was the the previous name of the irs okay the irs was directly given the job of enforcing prohibition because it was considered a financial issue a revenue issue uh, U.S. Assistant Attorney General. Was, was it an offshoot of like the Treasury Department? Yeah, well, the okay. IRS is part yes. of the Treasury okay. Department. So that's why, because, yes, because. Um, no, the, the IRS is under the U.S. Treasury I, I understand. Department. I'm talking about the police force that also works under the Treasury Department because uh, what's his name? The guy that busted Capone. Ness. Yeah, Elliot Ness was a Treasury officer. 
He was not a traditional cop. We actually don't get into Elliot yeah, Ness that's so fine. much, but I think pe- most people know. Yeah. U.S. Assistant. Watch, ad- watch the Untouchables. It tells you the whole thing. <laughs> U.S. Assistant Attorney General Mabel Walker Willebrandt, only the second woman at the time to receive an appointment as an assistant U.S. Uh, U.S. Assistant Attorney General, is generally credited with being the person who came up with the idea: Hey, if we can't nail these guys on their actual crimes. What about evasion? Mm-hmm. So she uh, it was a woman who this this attorney assistant attorney general who was like, hey, how about light, this light bulb moment? Mm-hmm. Because they obviously led lifestyles <clears throat> that outpaced their declared means of income. Yeah. So it was really kind of easy to home in on. The primary test case of this theory was against a man named Manly Sullivan, who was a bootlegger from South Carolina. Nice. His attorneys argued. So here was here was his defense, right? What's a defense on that? It's a constitutional defense, which was actually very interesting. His attorneys argued that if a person was forced to file a tax return that showed illegal income, it went against the Fifth Amendment, the right not to self-incriminate. Hmm. So that was the argument. Um, it made its way to the Supreme Court in 1927 in United States v. Sullivan. The ruling was unanimous, holding that the Fifth Amendment, quote, does not bar prosecution of criminals for failing to file income tax returns based on ill-gotten gains. Interesting. End quote. So um, so back to Al. Remember him. Due to the nature of his business and the fact that he was prone to violence that caused fused with other crime lords, security was a big concern for him. He would often escape last minute to any number of U.S. cities, including exotic Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Exotic Cleveland. (laughs) And sorry for our Cleveland. I've just never heard it called that before. (laughs) I mean, a a river catching on fire is kind of exotic. uh... (laughs) And luxurious Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, yeah all right <laughs> but he at this point he established his ties to south florida too by retreating to palm island. i was gonna say like yeah mm-hmm. that's where he went after his prison sentence yep and palm island uh is one of those uh shishi islands off in biscayne bay off of and, between downtown and, and before uh, Miami Beach. and before florida was florida yes and now like another island in that area mm-hmm. is star island mm-hmm. which like madonna and uh shack, shack uh lebron james the estefan sylvester sloan they've all lived there at various points capone had initially taken up residence at the metropole hotel when he was in town in chicago mm-hmm. in chicago's south loop so that's in the downtown chicago kind of on the south end of the heart of downtown a little south of navy pier But in the summer of 1928, he moved across Michigan Avenue to the Lexington Hotel, where he and his entourage holed up on the fourth and fifth floors whenever he was in Chicago. The reign of violence culminated in the notorious 1929... St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yep. The inspiration for the song... The Night Chicago Died by Paper Lace. Oh, yeah, that one. It was released 45 years (laughs) later, and the... It, the lyrics are, I heard my mama cried. I heard her pray the night Chicago died. All of the people in Paper Lace were born in the late 40s and early 50s, meaning they were born after Al Capone died. So mm-hmm. that was a complete anachronism of a song. You can write a song from the viewpoint of a character. <laughs> yes, you can. Of a small child. In or the a 20s. movie. I, I, <laughs> or a I book. feel like that's a hipster uh, uh, like band hook that we only write lyrics 
from the perspective of a five-year-old living in 1929. <laughs> <laughs> and we never sing harmony like those stupid, who's the, the mountain song people of Monsters and Men? I hate them so much. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Oh, they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> the mountain song people. The mountain song people. They they were they literally. I thought I, I honestly money. thought you were talking about Jane's addiction at first because they do have a song called Mountain Song. <laughs> <laughs> it's no. a pretty good song too. No, it's a don't listen to. No, my it's, word do, do not do hey! not do not get. No, don't. Okay, do don't that. want it in your head. All no. right. Anyway, on Valentine's Day, nineteen twenty nine, four henchmen of Capone's pretended to be cops shot up seven people of the rival uh, Northside gang. Pictures of the bodies were published in mainstream newspapers. Trigger warning for everybody was not given because this was 1929. Shocking the general public and tarnishing Capone's public image, transforming him into his other nickname. In the no, 80s, no. public enemy number one. No, that's not more of a nickname. That's more of like just an accuracy. <laughs> it's an accurate name. <laughs> yeah. Right around this time, the U.S. Treasury Department Intelligence Unit Investigator Frank J. Wilson, who is an accounting professional with a reputation of being cold and heartlessly thorough, <laughs> never want to meet an accountant who's cold and heartlessly thorough, although I identify with him. A bit. I was going to say, I think that's the only <laughs> way you can be an accountant. <laughs> Started uncovering the evidence that would eventually build the case against Scarface for tax evasion. This goes super deep. We are barely scratching the surface, but... He was officially charged on March 13, 1931, and indicted by a federal grand jury that June. He pled guilty and ended up in the U.S. penitentiary in Atlanta in May 1932, where his health rapidly deteriorated due to the aforementioned syphilis, as well as gonorrhea and cocaine withdrawal. So he was just having a good old time. Sounds like a real blast. He was transferred to the notorious Alcatraz off of San mm -hmm. Francisco in 1934, where he was later stabbed by a fellow inmate. Apparently it was only a flesh wound, but he was paroled in 1939, basically on like, um, oh, what do you call it? Not empathy, but like compassion release okay. because his health had deteriorated so badly, his mental and his physical health. He basically, his syphilis resulted in really bad dementia mm -hmm. that really started um, to affect him. He lived out the rest of his life on Palm, on Palm Island. Allegedly, our grandfather met him. And <laughs> that's always been like a family story, or at least his story. And he said, he always says that he adopted a really high-pitched voice. I don't know. That's what my must grandpa have, said. He remembers it. It must, must have been, been when the, he was must little. Have been syphilis. Uh, so Capone died in 47. My grandpa was born in like 36. So he would have been a kid mm -hmm. at the time. Um, so that was his kid memory. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the development of penicillin helped curb, but not cure his uh, untreated syphilis. His dementia continued until his death of heart failure on January 25th, 1947, eight days after his 48th birthday. Mm. So he, wow. I guess I didn't realize he was that young. 48. Mm -hmm. So now that we've dealt with the notorious Al Capone, let us move on to the notorious Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> so, as Al Capone's health failed and the Second World War raged on, another event of, at the time, unknown importance took place. One, Gerald Riviera was born. <laughs> that was his, that was, yes, that was the, <laughs> that was the name on his birth certificate. Gerald 
Riviera. Now here's the- uh, oh, that was better. Yes. <laughs> he was born like a true patriot on the 4th of July, oh. 1943. Oh, dear. Um, now, yes, his name was actually Gerald Riviera on his birth certificate. Apparently his father's name was Rivera. His mother, according to Geraldo, his mother misspelled his last name. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like his dad's name was Rivera, Rivera. and she wrote it Riviera. Um, and apparently she repeated this mistake on his sister's birth certificate. She did more than once. He's making stuff up. I, like I think Oprah he probably said the same thing. That it was Orpa, but yes, mom, yeah. and I believe her, and I think he's just making it up so he sounds, you know, like he came from humble backgrounds like mm-hmm. Oprah, which is terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh anyway, he was born and raised in New York City, mostly Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, And he went to college at SUNY Maritime College and then on to the University of Arizona, where he received his degree in journalism. No, haha, It was business administration. Uh, What I didn't know is he actually did get his law degree. I did not know that he got his law degree at the University of Pennsylvania Law School and he passed the New York State Bar. So as much as I would love to dog him for a lot of things like well, and I guess I can dog him for being a lawyer, <laughs> but <laughs> he was well-educated. He was well-educated and apparently a good student too. So he kind of sidled into journalism. He apparently he did, and I should have written this down. He did some work uh, that basically he, he, he was representing somebody and ended up being interviewed on the news was the impression I got. And the, the news director of WABC TV, which is the New York City ABC affiliate, liked him and thought he was good on the air. And so he got offered a job as a reporter. And so he quit being a lawyer and became a reporter. And that was Al Primo who sort of discovered him as a reporter. Uh, Now this was when he was Gerald Riviera, possibly (laughs) back to Rivera, I don't know at the time, but he decided he made the effort that he wanted to sound more Latino. Now, as he, so I think if I'm not mistaken, his father is Puerto Rican, I think. Okay, and his mother is Russian Jewish, I think. And he was raised largely Jewish, but he decided that Geraldo Rivera sounded better than Gerald Riviera, which he was not wrong about. No, he was not wrong about that. <laughs> and it, imagine like, well, you know, plus, you're, say, plus you're also in a time when uh, uh, television is first becoming prominent. Not that it hadn't been around, but it's it's infiltrating. And I mean, even radio DJs do the same thing. A lot of handles. They, and, yeah, they don't have they don't use their actual name. You know, no. their real name. You mean to tell me that Ron St. John's real name wasn't Ron St. John? <laughs> and, and apparently Rush Limbaugh's name, that that wasn't his really? name either. Really? What was his name? I, I don't I read something after he died, like... Rush was uh, Rush Limbaugh is his radio name. Like he, he's oh, how weird. Yeah, what a weird name to pick. I mean, it's it's. I guess I shouldn't say that because it's it's unique. Hey, if you if you want to spread uh, fascism, uh, hate mongering, xenophobia, and racism, we need to rush that out onto the air <laughs> and go out on a limb about that. <laughs> you just killed the joke. But anyway. I know. <laughs> I don't know. It's on its last legs. 
But imagine if his Geraldo talk show. Oh, it's, had been it's so much Gerald. Gerald. No, it doesn't work. Like he never would have made it. <laughs> There's already a Jerry anyway, right? Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. It was no, really but, similar but, to Jerry Springer. But like, imagine like in the and Gerald Ford was president for a while around that time. Like Gerald Rivera would have worked in the 1950s, but that's like that's it. Like once he got into because the because the, he was born in 43, so mm-hmm. at this time I'm guessing we're talking like the late 60s, early 70s. Well, I guess 1970 is when 1970. To, okay, uh-huh. yeah. So he's like 27. Yeah. So Geraldo Rivera. It's Not Gerald Gerald Rivera. Ri- Gerald Riviera. It just doesn't. It no. <laughs> Gerald is a square name. It is. You know. But but no offense to the Geralds out there. But so is Geraldo. But it just sounds Geraldo. so much better. Yes. <laughs> Gerald. Like no, that doesn't. Uh, it sounds too white. Even if you tried to pronounce it, like it's Harold. No, wait, that doesn't. Harold. Harold. Harold is very. Yes. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's when he became Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. As Al Capone before him, Geraldo began rising the ranks in the news world. Not as a mobster, earning a Peabody Award. He actually earned. I know it's kind of shocking. So, oh, how so the man fallen. He was like legitimate. And he shit. was legitimate. <laughs> he what he did was uh, he was like a hard hitting journalist covering all the after school special topics of the 70s um but apparently quite legitimate at the time he had nowhere to go but down apparently (laughs) yes so um uh so he was he worked for abc worked for the local affiliate he got some national work too he went he was he appeared on 2020 contributed to 2020 um which was I think that was that started in like 1978. Or it's an old like show. It is an old show. Yes. Yeah. With old people on it, all mm-hmm. those shows have like very. Uh, now I'm being ageist anyway. Um, uh, but he actually ended up getting fired by ABC in October of 1985 because uh, he basically publicly badmouthed his boss. Uh, 2020 yeah, that'll creator. You, that'll, that'll get you fired. <laughs> 2020 creator it's either rune or rooney arledge it's r-o-o-n-e oh it's it's a uh, it's rune arledge it's rune arledge. yes okay, uh, he, he's name. also yeah he's also big uh worldwide's wonderful wide world i was gonna say he he also created cbs's sports arm mm-hmm. of their of cbs's uh yeah entertainment allegedly what happened was that a reporter had or a journalist had done a story for 2020 on i think it was the alleged affair between marilyn monroe and jfk and Rune Arledge quashed it, mm-hmm. and Geraldo publicly stated that he thought it was because Arledge was a friend of the Kennedys and wanted to, like, cover well, the story. So, yeah. But it is one of those you don't air your dirty laundry. I mean, like, to publicly badmouth your boss is a bold move. It is. It's, well, to badmouth your boss in any capacity is a bold move. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he, if you know, he's going to hear about it. <laughs> you have thoughts, Sarah. I see you have thoughts. Well, I feel like it was kind of ushering in the new sensationalism journalism. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like Absolutely. if uh, this guy Rune was in kind of the old guard and was like, no, we're not talking about that on mm. the television. And Geraldo's like, no, no ratings. Got to get more, mm, that <clears> more be. sex on TV. Yeah, I don't know. Been. That could have been because to people like that were quote unquote legitimate, like Connie Chung, or even um, <laughs> yeah. all those like short haired anchor women, <laughs> all the women with bobs. <laughs> yeah. In the nineties, you see interviews of them, and they're just like, 
what about your sex life? You yeah. know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, who was it? Was it? Oh, and I don't want, did you see the Britney Spears documentary thing? I did not. No, people don't give me their Hulu. <laughs> I did. You have a whole profile on my Hulu. Talk about oh, Aaron Dirty Laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I you you have a profile on my. Well, oh, I didn't add your password to my last password. Okay, so I, I will text it to you. <laughs> but um, I think it was, and I don't want to say this and be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Diane Sawyer. Oh yeah, another one of those. Yeah, who when Britney was like I don't know 17 was asking her really inappropriate questions to be asking mm-hmm. a 17 year old about mm-hmm. like her her sex life and stuff. I could be getting this all wrong because I haven't seen it, but yeah. Anyway. Uh, I, I wrote a beautiful sentence that I want to read to you now. So he got fired, right? That wasn't it. This left our intrepid reporter quite down in the dumps and fully primed to turn away from the shackles of journalism to the siren song of sensationalism. <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You can work for the New York Times. That's for uh, Diane that's, Sawyer. That's, uh, <laughs> like, right for Diane Sawyer. Yeah. You can work for any national publication with something like that. They're Thank like, you. Oh, like, yes. <laughs> the siren song of like, sensationalism. Yeah. Just have to do a lot of alliteration. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> All right. So now to get to the backstory of the mystery of Al Capone's faults. In the early 1980s, plans had been made for the Lexington Hotel, remember that's where Mm -hmm. Capone holed up for a few years, to be renovated. As a construction company surveyed the building, they made an unexpected discovery. A series of like hollow spaces running through the Mm -hmm. hotel, including one that was behind the medicine cabinet of the room that Capone himself used. So it's clear that these like makeshift tunnels were used as escape routes. Oh yeah. You had to get away from the cops real quick, built for Capone and his crew. In addition to the tunnels were spaces that had been built out under sidewalks. Oh, okay. Now these are what would become to known as become to be known as the vaults. Okay. These are not <clears throat> bank vaults. These are not vaults with tumblers. And that's what I thought, even when we were watching that whole show, that's what I thought this was. That is not what this is. These were like makeshift spaces. Oh, not yet. Don't show Wild Eye Geraldo yet. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we're going to go through all those. Those are hilarious. Uh, those are all screen stills. <laughs> Special. It's the best. Um, so vault in this instant actually, instance actually means like a hollow space, hollowed out, crudely hollowed out space under the sidewalks that over time, like when they stopped being used, they'd fill them in with gravel brick them off, cement them off, fill pa- them up. Patch it up. Yeah, basically. So that, the, I guess, the sidewalk wouldn't crumble. Um, so they were like storage areas, basically. And kind of same with the tunnels. These aren't like sophisticated. No. Um, secret passage. No, they're just, if these you need are, to get the fuck out all of a sudden. Like yeah, you, these you are get, modes gotta, of aggress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, know your exits. Mm-hmm. And when you're a mobster, you need a lot of them. Yes, you do. Were they exits though? Like, or hiding places? I think they were to get to other buildings. Yeah. Like you could okay. go or other parts of a building so that you could then get out. Is the okay. idea. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, somewhere in Los Angeles, John Jocelyn, a partner in the production company, the Westgate Group, read a newspaper article about this intriguing discovery. Jocelyn was instantly interested. You see, the Westgate group was in the business 
of content generation, oh. like old school content generation instead of all social media or like, or um, like what we're doing. Well, yes, but yeah. I like to think of us as <laughs> it's what well, we're providing we producing content, content yeah. but not for content's sake. No, I mean, there's, we don't have an empire behind us. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. This is more like, hey, we don't have anything at for two o'clock in the afternoon. Yes. Westgate so, Group. Yeah, exactly. They would produce television programming that they could sell to local TV stations mm -hmm. that couldn't produce their own programming, that didn't have the budget for it. So they provided content for um, various affiliates or what have you. Uh, they were always on the lookout, therefore, for fresh and exciting topics to generate into a production. So Jocelyn approached his partner, Doug Llewellyn. I, I think it's so funny that they have two first last names, Jocelyn and Llewellyn, but mm. anyway, who agreed that this was a great subject for a TV special. The, these sure. vaults of Al Capone that they thought may be under the sidewalk. Yeah. Why not? They pitched the idea to a friend of theirs who was in ad sales in New York to see if he thought it would fly with the audience. The friend responded, quote, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard, end quote. And he egged them on to do it. They, so allegedly, the guy was like rolling on the floor laughing. And so they're like, we've got he, a he hit. Was, he was literally ruffling. He was ruffling. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, so no one was taking it seriously. No, well, so <laughs> the concept <laughs> was intriguing, but the idea that this should somehow be spun into a special, the guy was like, "Okay, you're reaching here." I, that's the interpretation I made. So they're like, "Find somebody cheap, yeah. unknown, and stupid." <laughs> <laughs> well, so we'll do what we find say. somebody who wants to whore themselves <laughs> out for fame. Oh wait! Oh wait! We've got <laughs> Well, I mean, it was a lot of people. I was going to say it wasn't just Geraldo, no. like, like literally, like you could line three blocks of New We'll York get City. to that in a minute, yeah. but let's keep going. So, the entire premise of the production was that these vaults wouldn't just be opened; they would be opened live in a televised spectacle. Oh, what a mistake! I know, I know. that's the thing. That's <laughs> Here's the thing: they had absolutely, and they knew they had absolutely no idea what was actually inside the vaults. Amble. Um, but, but they were guessing some pretty wild stuff. They were literally thinking there could be money. There could be like bodies, leaked. dead bodies. bodies yeah. Exactly. Whatever. Um, and they were also treading on a previously worn path here. In 1984, they had recovered a, a a televised special aired where they opened a safe for the first time that they had recovered from the ocean liner, the SS Andrea Doria which is another topic we'll need to cover. Mm -hmm. um, so they recovered this safe and they're like, we're going to open it live on TV. What's in it? What's in it? Basically nothing. Like a couple of dollars or something like that was in it. It was like silver certificates or something, but literally very little of any importance was in it. But what didn't escape Westgate's notice is that they got very good ratings for opening this live on TV. So it became a lot less about, they're like, look, it's possible there's nothing in here but we'll but probably but get good matter. ratings exactly yeah, if we advertise matter. it well enough. So they kind of didn't care if it would be or not. Like they were like, this is a good as, bet for a topic. As long as people are watching it, it doesn't matter if there's anything in there. Right. But that was a tough sell. Mm -hmm. So ABC and NBC passed on it. They're like, wait, you don't know what's in there? And they're like, no, we don't know what's in there. They're like, yeah, we'll pass. 
So uh, they were just not willing to risk not knowing what was inside, if anything. So eventually, Chicago-based Tribune Entertainment stepped up to the plate. They agreed to finance the special with a $900,000 budget, which is now about $2.2 million. And they distributed and promoted it worldwide. <clears throat> the style of the special was formed to be like this live excavation, but interspersed with previously recorded documentary style, like, uh, <laughs> We'll get into what the segments were. They're pretty hilarious, but they were essentially pre-recorded. They were pre-recorded segments. Yeah, mm -hmm. interspersed with this live out, outtakes is the wrong word, but no, it, basically building up the story. Right? The why? Background. Why they're actually doing and what the story doing. of Capone mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and they looked for the perfect host. And honestly, their first, <laughs> their first, <laughs> what they wanted, the first person they wanted was actually a really good idea. It was Robert Stack. Oh yeah. Who we probably know yes. from Unsolved Mysteries. Mm -hmm. But in the 1960s, Robert, Robert I'm Robert Stack. He talked we like are this. going to open <laughs> the vault of Al Capone today. <laughs> Or no, that's not Robert Stack. No, I'm, do, I'm no, doing somebody else. He's the one who sounds like he's straining some of the time. Yeah. I'm Robert Stack. Anyway, <laughs> um, he had been in the 1960s TV show The Untouchables about, he played Elliot Ness. He was about uh, Capone. Oh, okay. Let's see what they're going with. Yeah, here. so it was a great tie-in. Um, but this is hilarious. One of the producers shot down the idea, stating, in all due respect to Mr. Stack, quote, I really think we need someone who can walk and talk at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, pretty apparently recently to that, <laughs> apparently pretty recently to that, he had like tried to, um, Robert Sack had tried to film a talk show and he had to use cue cards and it was really horrible. So they're like, no, he's not going to be able to do that. They wanted Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes. He was like, fuck no. No, CBS wouldn't let him. Yeah. Wisely, CBS yeah. would not let Mike Wallace. Like, Mike Wallace is like a journalist journalist. <laughs> like a legitimate <laughs> like, journalist. Like a, yeah. So serendipitous timing revealed the fact that one Peabody Award winning Geraldo Rivera was indeed highly unemployed. <laughs> highly unemployed. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> okay, you can go to that. That looks like the face of somebody who's highly unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about where that screenshot came from in a second. <laughs> and he was available to host this live special. But after his, uh, so he was fired in October of 85 and they were starting production. This is the very beginning of 86. Um, right after he got fired, what do you think Geraldo did to Sulk? To sulk? Yes, to go off and sulk. Uh, I know what I would do, but I, I'm not Geraldo. So. <laughs> he took his sailboat to the Panama Canal. Yeah, that's pretty. I, yeah, I don't so have a sailboat. Yes, so he went to the that. Riviera. But... <laughs> <laughs> he went to the Geraldo Riviera. <laughs> um, so he received. That's pretty. Hey, if I had a sailboat, I'd do the same fucking thing. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just going to go get out of here for a while. So he received a call from his agent pitching him the special. And he said, quote, and, and he called him while he was on his sailboat and he with had his giant brick with, phone. A, with his giant brick phone. <laughs> that, <that's>... Probably. <laughs> um, so it, the agent pitched the idea to him and allegedly he said, quote, hell no, end quote. But then he was like, okay, 
how much does it pay? I was just going to say, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, yeah, we, we haven't talked about, we haven't you. talked about yep. money yet. And they said 25,000, no. which is, oh, about, no. it's no. about 61, 62,000 nope. today. Six figures, bottom line. And he said, get 50,000, which would be like 130 today mm-hmm. and I'll do it. And so uh, with $50,000, a wing and a prayer, <laughs> the and, special and, is on. And a sailboat. And a sailboat yeah. in the Panama Canal. Hey, that's not bad. 50 bucks for two or 50 bucks, $50,000 for two hours of work. Which would be like 123 today. Yeah. Obviously, he months. didn't work for only two hours. It probably took a couple of days. No, to, it was four months of pre-production. Yeah. Hey, four months for 50 grand. Plus I'll, he's t- the I'll take face that. of this that everyone now knows is a gamble. Like everyone has yes. admitted this is mm-hmm. a total gamble. We don't have the technology mm-hmm. to go in ahead of time. There's every possibility that this is going to be a total bust and you I, have to put your face on the bus bus but he stop. didn't think it was going to be so we'll get into that in a minute he had a, actually a lot of unfounded and, faith and, that, that this would reveal something and honestly i think the network I, i'm they're gonna it's they're gonna strike gold either way they're like they're like they, it, they they're like admitted that they're like if we yeah. find all this stuff that's fantastic like mm-hmm. if it's a totally if it's a total bust it'll be so ratings. it'll be so hilarious <laughs> and people will talk no, about it all they cared about was the ratings right so they're like this will get ratings either and way. the but and the after effect too like mm-hmm. you know keeping that keeping the story in the news mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. they're like either way it's going to work out for us so pre-production for the special which to be fair is this isn't like a just a TV production. This is construction. Yes. This is excavation. <laughs> yes. Um, and they ran on which a is why, on schedule. I, which is probably also why the production cost was so high because you have to get permits. You have to pay the yep. crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of... Some of the permits didn't go through until 4 p.m. the day of yeah, recording. I, that the day of the live. That's right. not surprising. Like, oh. And they probably had to slip whoever was in charge of that, uh, you know, Ben Franklin. That could, like, that could happen. Like, here, we, we need this to go through. So the hotel's catacombs were a mess. There was legitimate concern that one wrong move could build bring yes. the whole building. That's what I was thinking block. of the whole thing. The whole time Geraldo we were watching that. He said it like 10 yes. times. And we're he's, not careful. This whole building. And he's saying it us. without wearing a hard hat. You we'll dumb fuck. That. We'll get into that. <laughs> it would have covered his hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. You don't. That's beautiful feathering. Technic- you do not want to Technically, the, the, the five cans of Aquanet that he had in his hair <laughs> was a helmet, but I don't think it was an OSHA regulated helmet. <laughs> So they tried X-rating. They used sonar, mm-hmm. what Geraldo repeatedly referred to as ground-penetrating radar. That's what it was called <laughs> no, back then. Yeah. No. To yeah. try and determine what, if anything, was in there. Those it was de- all inconclusive. But those devices that they're bringing out on that mm-hmm. show, those devices were literally in their infancy. Like that right. stuff is. Yes, it was new technology. Yes, that stuff was mm-hmm. like brand new. Plus, mm-hmm. the, you got to pay for that too. You know? At one point, the production team even brought in a psychic. Channel no. Al Capone's spirit. No. <laughs> they didn't put that on the broadcast, though. Yeah, no, they didn't. <laughs> they consulted with uh, Tom Sa- Tim Samuelson, a cultural historian for the city of Chicago, and mm-hmm. he told them, "Quote: Look, I hate to tell you this, but this is a Chicago sidewalk vault. I don't think there's anything in there at all." End quote. But remember, they were not necessarily betting on the result. No. Just the ratings mm-hmm. at the tease of a possible Strictly result. Strictly eyeballs. Mm-hmm. 
So production pushed forward with unbridled optimism, at least on Rivera's part. He would later state, quote, I was reasonably sure we would find either guns or money or dead bodies. Why? <laughs> Why? Because it's Al Capone. Look at him. Look at him, Sarah. Look at that <laughs> the face. psychic. I see. I see a gentleman in a navy coat. He has a porn stash <laughs> like it is very pancakey makeup he's wearing a tie and he he's got like this hair that is too long super bouffant and feathered oh that's it's that's that's a straight up 90 1986 white male haircut <laughs> yes yes absolutely is. i had he, one of those myself <laughs> <laughs> he looks at the same time both terrified yeah. and getting his pants excited <laughs> yeah. like you can just see it in his face that he can't believe his luck but also you know how how did he end up here please save him yeah it's like it's like <laughs> this is it was, this is a hostage video i would not be surprised <laughs> Oh my goodness. So yes, you can see his optimism. You really can in the pre-recorded segments and in the live segments. He well, looks the, excited as hell. In the live segment, he has to be optimistic because he's got to sell it. He's the he's literally the only host. I agree, but it came across to me as very genuine. It did to me as well. Like it he really wasn't did. acting. No. I thought I think he, he thought that they were gonna find something. something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Even though initially we know that he wasn't so sure of it. But right, now, right. but now that he's got the gig, well, now that he has the money, he's yeah, <laughs> he's like, well. So, um, yes, he was excited out of his mind of what they would find. So, advertisers were buying in too. They sold two point four million dollars in so they, ads. So they already made up the production costs. Six million today. Yeah. So yeah. production yeah. costs is already they, made up. They did, and then some. So now financially, it literally doesn't matter how this turns it out. Matter. They they sold the advertising. <laughs> they're good. Yeah. The production was lavish. Remember, they did those the staged um, speakeasy party. Yes. They they hired like they rented out like old automobiles and stuff to do these like reenactments and stuff. They really went uh, whole hog. And as the day of the broadcast grew nearer, the buzz was strong on the live special. One of the execs at Tribune Entertainment would later say, "Quote." Half of it was the excitement of what we were doing, and half of it was dread. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing, there's literally at this point, there's nothing to dread. They already made up what they well, got out more than the, what they I put think in. It's more the uh, egg on the face. The egg on the face. Yeah, I I, but, Don't worry, that egg has a face. I was going to say, the egg it. already has. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a great. There's nothing for that. There's literally nothing for this guy to worry about. It's all fucking gravy from here on out. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So, this section I have called sad trombone. (laughs) 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 On the evening of Monday, April 21st, 1986, the film and production crew, a construction crew, history experts, forensic examiners, and even an IRS agent who indeed <laughs> was interviewed live. Yes, he was. That's right, he was. <laughs> For no good reason. But he looked like what you'd figure he an would IRS like, agent would look like. Yeah, in 1986. 1986. Yes. Yeah. The same year of an overhaul of the tax code, Reagan's tax code. There we go. Tax cuts. Yes. Um, For the wealthy. Uh-huh. 
and they all stood at the ready along with 30 million viewers in 1986. That's a, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. That's a big share. I wonder what day is this production? Monday. Oh, it's a Monday. It's oh, Monday. that's a huge audience Prime for a time, Monday. Monday. God, 7 yeah. to 9 p.m. Central was mm-hmm. the time at this, which would have been 8 to 10 Eastern. Yep. So that's the, the mm-hmm. yep, that's the primetime slot. Yep. So yeah, that's and they a were huge audience. All ready to witness at the end of two hours, <laughs> the untold riches revealed to have been stored for over 50 years by none other than Scarface Capone himself. At 7 p.m. Central Time, they went live. And this is a picture. This, this, no, no, you've got it. <laughs> That's the picture <laughs> of Geraldo in his opening segment. Yeah. And he yeah. opened half, half excited and half shitting oh his pants. <laughs> they went live. Geraldo serious, quaffed, wild eyed, and pointing directly at the camera to say, I'm Geraldo Rivera, and you're about to witness a live television event. (laughs) (laughs) Here we make history today. I mean, (laughs) over the next two hours, through the pre-recorded segments and live interviews, Geraldo walked the streets of downtown Chicago, interviewed historians and revenue agents, (laughs) shot 1920s era firearms, Yes, Go ahead did. and scroll yes, to the next. Scroll That's to the next right. one. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> this is Geraldo cosplaying as Patty Hearst. <laughs> that, that's an actual Tommy gun he was firing, though. That's and, a Tommy gun. And he was really yeah, enjoying yes. it. Yes. Which like, I would have too. It, this that was been fun. there was live ammo. He yes, shot He was that. shooting it. He shot that in a segment. Yes. <laughs> Um, under an alarmingly low level of supervision. <laughs> yes. At least they, at least he, there was least, no ear protection. I was going to say, but at least he put on safety glasses. He, he does have least... safety glasses, but they look like seventies, uh, sunglasses. I can't, I can't tell the difference anyway. <laughs> and and um, still, still no hard hat. He changed outfits. Oh, a bunch of times. Uh, it was a little hard to keep track. There were many, many, many outfits changes in this. If we were, because I, I want to do a little background on when, what we were thinking of when we were thinking to do this for our 200th episode. Uh-huh. Remember how I was thinking like every time like we have to cut out, like I would change outfits every time we come back <laughs> out. <laughs> to like, be just, like, yes, just. I remember jokingly we kind of talked about that. Yeah, there was like there was formal Geraldo, there was casual Geraldo, yeah. there was like yeah, he had many outfits. Sorry, there was, I, there was there was Tommy gun shooting Geraldo. I tuned out a tiny bit, and then when I came back, we were laughing about this shot, and I get why we're laughing about it. But is this Geraldo? That's yeah, Geraldo. that's him. Yes. What is he doing? He's he's literally firing a Tommy so he gun. He talked. There was a whole segment <laughs> where he talked where to he a firearms him? expert. They gave him a 1920s live working functioning Tommy gun and allowed him to shoot at bottles lined up on the bar. Not even joking. (laughs) Not joking. It was it was not 35 years ago. It was was definitely yeah, it was definitely not a prop gun and there were and there were definitely not blanks unless they like he was yeah and he the glee with which he shot that gun is very disturbing. I don't know why you would do that. Like the reenactments, I get. I thought this was part of the reenactment. You're going to be like, look how no. cheesy this actor is. <laughs> wow. No. Well, it's also 1986 and like mass shootings, like being everywhere, yeah, it's weren't, a weren't a thing yet. That's, that's so not, it, no. that's not going to. Yeah, I'm sure guns were great back oh, then. <laughs> what do you mean were? They still are. Um. Oh, my goodness. Uh. He also wore a hard hat only occasionally in an active construction zone he repeatedly iterated to viewers could crumble and crush them all yes. 
He lit- no, no joke. That was the first thing you pointed out. Like, why are you not wearing a hard hat? Yeah. Like, and he wasn't like half the time, <laughs> half the time he would, half the time he wouldn't. Um, yeah, it was, it was a little bit. The funniest thing to me, I don't know. Are, are you going to get into the, yeah. Yes, okay. Uh-huh. Yes, I am. I know that that's a, that's a, oh, oh, here it is. It's the next one. And casually put one foot up on the back of a bulldozer, yeah. on the wheel of, a, or on the like he just kind of like he was just like for the shot, like just yeah. And he had it like his his yeah. And he had his a, elbow the over bulldozer's his... on. Yeah, there's a guy running. In the front there's a guy seat. in there. He could have moved at any time. <laughs> the number of OSHA violations going on at this site. Were... I'll, I'll say this: having worked in manufacturing for the last six years, it was driving me insane yeah, the entire time. I'm like, put on a fucking hard hat. <laughs> like, how hard is? That? <laughs> He does have uh, eye protection on during his uh, while shooting he was firing range. the gun. Yes, yeah, yeah, he at yeah, least yeah. did that. And when he put his foot on the bulldozer, I was just like, if I was the guy driving that, like right in that, I've been, mean, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, get away from the bulldozer. It was live TV. I bet those guys were nervous too. <laughs> oh, so as time wore on, the documentary portions of the special unfolded as expected eventually reaching the death and burial of the notorious Scarface. As a close-up of Capone's gravestone faded into the live shot of the basement, (laughs) with mere moments left in the broadcast, Geraldo yelled above the din of the construction equipment, quote, I don't quite know how to tell you this, Ed, Uh, eight minutes to the hour, but we found another wall in there. <laughs> <laughs> they just found another wall, like nothing inside the one that they dug through. And now there's just more, more, more stuff. The back of yeah. it. <laughs> Two construction workers kind of look back at him and then they keep digging. <laughs> the They've been paid great. till midnight. They're yeah, gonna I was going to say the construction midnight. workers, they're looking at yes. there like, uh, you got another oh, eight minutes. If you minutes. want to, you can scroll through the, the next picture. So this was him in a pre recorded <laughs> segment at Alcatraz, he, right? I think so. I yes. think he actually went to Alcatraz and stood into, in, in Al cell. Capone's cell. Yeah. Yes. In the Capone's cell. It's not quite like M- Mandela's cell. No. <laughs> Not, not nearly as historically significant no. either, but Al Capone is America's Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> and we deserve it. <laughs> yes, we do deserve Geraldo uh, Rivera. So this I love the, I, it. this look, is the best. I love the, the, guy, the guy holding the to, shovel. Yeah, who has to so here's okay. <laughs> the final live segment began with Geraldo still not wearing a still hard not hat. Hard Notice hat. everybody else wearing a hard hat. He's not wearing a hard hat. Um, he, so the whole segment starts, he blows an air horn, That's like right. one of those can air horns <laughs> to get everybody's attention on the construction site to get them to stop. So there wouldn't be noise <laughs> as he did his final narration. Right. Um, like, as like he, guys, guys, I've got to speak. This well, is really important. As he narrated his own professional embarrassment, <laughs> he gathered the crew around and he actually, Say what you want about Geraldo. He was really clear through all of his narration and his interviews and stuff until the end. And then he started kind of stumbling a little. He kept looking down like he could barely look at the camera. (laughs) It was bad. Um, He literally was holding the air horn kind of like 
fondling it a little bit, like looking down like a kid, like twiddling like, his thumb like, or is, something. Is this the end of my career? Like, <laughs> am I, am I fucking my completely demise? done after this? Am I going to have to go back in my sailboat Panama Canal after and this? And obviously, because they didn't know what they were going to find, it wasn't scripted. He was having to just talk. He described... I, I, I do have to say, though, that is pretty ballsy. On uh, Not only on the... I don't think necessarily on the on the on the CBS. That's who's producing this. No, uh, Tribune Entertainment. It was they, an independent indie. But thing. they sold it to like CBS. No, no, they sold it to like independent. Oh, that's right. It was the local. That's yeah, right. Affiliates. So I think they're like, okay, we've we've got our viewership numbers. They they in 1986 they wouldn't know that on the spot, mm-hmm. but they they already know they sold the advertising. So they're right. like mm-hmm. they're like we're probably going to get the viewers. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like they're fine. Their gamble paid off, like. Geraldo, sacrificial baby lamb walking Geraldo, in front of everybody. Yep. Geraldo is sitting there literally holding the bag, which in this case was an air horn. It was an air horn. <laughs> and he was just looking at that poor little air horn, just like, what am I gonna do? Um, so he he just described what they had done and that it they didn't find anything. He <laughs> he ended up ended the broadcast by gathering the construction workers for like a group photo, even though this group is hug. motion pictures and not a picture picture. And he's so all hiding men, in the back. Yes, and he's kind of in the back. And and the one poor guy has to kind of duck. They stood that way for like three minutes. They did like, at the end of the broadcast. Him. Yeah. Um, and he gave them a moment of glory. That's actually kind of nice. But he said, quote, what can I say? I'm sorry. <laughs> he apologized like six times. He then made good on a promise. He said he had made with critics that he would sing a song if nothing was found in the vault. So is this a Frasier episode? What? I know. <laughs> Buttons and bows. I know. So he half-heartedly sang a line from Chicago, that toddlin town, which is like I don't know, a Cole Porter. Like Broadway I was gonna number. say, that's Chicago, like uh, my toddlin town. That's it's like, like vaudeville. I area. take back yeah. his Latino card. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. it's the whitest thing he's ever done. <laughs> yeah, yes. they, they they took that card back way before that. And but. then he did de- <laughs> like he dejectedly walks off camera. <laughs> his last words were, "Quote, all right, I'm gone." I'll see you. Good night. I'm sorry. See you next time. Take it easy. <laughs> I'm going back to my sailboat. And then, <laughs> then as the credits start to roll, you can hear him keep singing the song. I forgot about oh. that, really. He sang a couple more lines. Well, he made good on uh, his bet. So you know can... what? I, I kind of, out of, out of all of this, I kind of like Geraldo now. <laughs> <laughs> circle back around well and and then like the poor construction workers are just sort of like, like standing they're like well our job is done as the credits are rolling and like the narration is like this was brought to you by and then the graphic like this buds for you comes across the screen because Geraldo's gonna need a case of these <laughs> wherever as he's going 30 million people witnessed his professional embarrassment so <clears throat> Geraldo would later state that he went across the street, got quote tequila drunk. Oh hell yeah, and <laughs> tequila drunk. <laughs> yeah, and then went sexually to his... harassed some women, oh, and like God, then went God, back to his hotel good. room. Then went to his hotel room and put up the "Do Not Disturb" sign. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, most of the people present that day ended up getting drunk. The the production crew took out all the construction guys, and they all got plastered. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Plus overtime, so I mean they're in. Oh, for, they're yeah. they're like they're yeah. like hell yeah. <laughs> hey, we're on TV. It wasn't us who decided. Who <laughs> yeah, they're like this, they're like we're just know? they're like we're just digging. Like, we're just the workers here. <laughs> yeah. So despite the difficult and highly embarrassing results, the ratings for the mystery of Al Capone's vaults were through the roof. It was a success in every measure except <laughs> finding anything of value or anything at all under the Lexington Hotel. Geraldo Rivera, let's not feel bad for him in the absolute definition of failing upwards. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. wrote out the mortification of the special's events, even collaborating with Tribune Entertainment again for multiple specials, <laughs> just not with the gimmick like that. Okay. Um, they then went on to collaborate on his lucrative but trashy as fuck talk show, Geraldo, in 1987, it ran for 11 years. Where he would get a uh, uh, chair thrown at him and get his nose broken by a, a neo-Nazi right. or That's a skinhead. Right. I, it was a skinhead. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Uh -huh. That shows he's doing important work. <laughs> yes. yes, he was. <laughs> Tribune Entertainment executive Alan Grafman would later say the joke among the producers was, quote, there was nothing in the vault, but inside we found Geraldo's talk show. We had an 11-year run with that. <laughs> so there you go. Hey. As one does after a career pe peddling human misery as entertainment, <laughs> Geraldo went on to become a Fox News War correspondent say, yeah. Where he still after is the events of 9-11. Yep. And as late as last year, yes, he is still at Fox News. As late as last year, received high praise for his long and storied career as a journalist. <laughs> Including comments from then President Fuckface. Yeah. Trump. And that, my friends, is the real disaster. <laughs> <laughs> the Lexington Hotel was demolished in 1995. No unfound treasure in sight. And that, my friends, is the story of the mystery of Al Capone's vaults. Yeah, I, I think this I th I think this was a better choice to go with this. Uh, for not the live episode right mm -hmm. yeah it's fun it's a fun episode super fun yeah but yeah people people want actual tragedy and misery yes for some reason except so. for one person yes they <laughs> we, when we do a real bad job yeah. i think they would have thought you did a bad job no matter what you covered so. yeah. i think you're right oh, no big deal um, so yeah, that was the, I. Yeah, the whole special can be seen on YouTube. Yes. All ninety <laughs> without without the it. commercials too, which which is nice. Well, it's nice, but it's also fun to watch those vintage commercials. Sometimes it is, <laughs> yes, depending on what it is, mm -hmm. yes. But I wasn't uh, born yet, so they're allowed to be vintage. <laughs> you keep saying you weren't born yet. Is somebody going into denial? So much denial. <laughs> Oh, but it was, but it was, it was really entertaining. It to was watch, entertaining it. to watch. And for something like this to be on television, like you got to remember still in 1986, um, we did not have cable until 1988 in my hometown. That's when we first got cable, um, access to cable. So in 1986, most people still have like three or four or five channels and right. that's it, you know? So network TV is still very big. Oh, huge. It's it's still the king mm -hmm. in, in the mid 80s. I mean, really up until the really up until about the mid to late 90s, mm -hmm. network TV was the ruling uh, the ruling party as far as broadcasting mm -hmm. goes. Mm -hmm. But uh, you had to get 30 million people on a Monday night in night. That's 
Well, it well that's and, like Monday and, night football slot. It was in April. So that's also football, like but... that's also Monday night football ratings. That's yeah. That's freaking yeah. That's a lot of people to watch. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Although to be fair, like I'm sure by '80s standards, the documentary parts are pretty good. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. They were cheesy. They but were, I mean, but that's kind of how they were back yeah. then. There, there wasn't a whole lot of the shooting segments. I mean, that, that was, was funny. Lot. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's worth watching it just for that. Yes. If you want to pull it up and watch just that, it's worth it for for those two minutes where he's really excited about firing. He's so happy gun. to fire a twenties gun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. Nope. I don't know if you can hear that. Can you hear that, Sarah? I don't know. Okay, good. <laughs> don't know how much we're picking up of other people, <laughs> but um, yeah. So anyway. yeah, that was a fun story. <laughs> yes, I thought so. But I, I hope our audience enjoys it as well. Yes. Well, after last week, well, no, we did uh, tangent explosions mm-hmm. last week, which those were not good no. at all. But we, so we did that, and then we did the children dying in the school bus, yeah. and that was not good. So we needed something a little light, mm-hmm. a little light. We have some a non-disaster disaster. Yes, yes, a non-deadly disaster. Yes. it didn't even it couldn't even kill Geraldo's career. No, <laughs> in fact, it boosted it. Yes, according to him, it could have gone a completely different way and fallen <laughs> in on his head. And we did that metaphorically. <laughs> yes. So, um, let me see. Uh, oh, I was gonna say I was gonna plug the live show, but nope. By the time this comes out, it's already, it's already done. been done. <laughs> so never mind. Hopefully, it went well. <laughs> yes, let's hope so. <laughs> I think this dress rehearsal went okay. I think it did. I think so too. Okay, good. All right. And well, now then. the final word with Geraldo. Is that a <laughs> Jerry Springer thing? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So this has been another episode of All Bad Things. And oh, I'm sorry. That was Al Capone's vaults <laughs> nope. or the mystery of Al Capone's vault. Turns out there was no mystery. <laughs> no mystery it at all. It was just a bunch of uh, rooms, empty rooms of dirt. <laughs> this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. I'm Sarah. We'll see you next week.